welcome to today's edition of the Blazing Grace Show with your trio of hosts, Jason Grace, Rob McIntyre, and Mike Janun. Blazing Grace covers blazing issues with grace-filled answers. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Here are your hosts, Jason, Rob, and Mike. Well, welcome to another episode of the Blazing Grace Radio Show. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good to see you, and um, we're missing Jason, aren't we? That's because he's uh, slumming it out in Hawaii or Maui or somewhere. I don't he know. Went, I think he went skiing recently. You can't ski in Maui, Rob. No, but here in Colorado. Colorado. Okay. All right. Anyways, we need to move along, folks. Sorry for that moment there. We still are missing Jason here, but he's uh, out getting some rest from his uh, heavy traveling schedule. But we got a great show today, don't we, Mike? Absolutely. Welcome back, Shelly. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, Shelly, and, and what we know is uh, you've got a special guest with us today. I certainly do. One of my favorite people and women, Susan Stafford's with us today. And uh, Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Shelly. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Susan, n- now that you're a friend of Shelly, tell us, how do you guys know each other? Well, I was actually, I found out about Shelly through another website, because Shelly's pretty popular these days. And, um, <laughs> I found her through Out of Exile Ministries, and basically I emailed her and we got to know each other from that point. Wow. So so for our guests who haven't heard of Shelly Lubin, and that's L-U-B-B-E-N, right, Shelly? Yes. Okay. Shelly is also someone who is in the adult entertainment industry, what, 12 years ago, Shelly? Yes. And, and God's just done a miracle in your life. And so, Susan, what you're saying is you got to know Shelly because Shelly's just so popular, right? No. Actually, Shelly, <laughs> some people. Yeah, yeah. Well, popularity helps, but what really attracted me to Shelly is that she had somewhat of a history like mine. She was involved in prostitution. Mm-hmm. She had a really deep testimony and powerful, like I did, and she has been such a mentor and leader to me. And and just knowing her has been has been wonderful. But there, those were basically the things that attracted me to her because I knew that her and I could connect and that we could connect in a godly way. Well, Susan, why don't you tell us your story? And I was reading through your website and the part about the stepfather chasing you with an axe. I mean, that was that brings goosebumps to me. Yeah, well, there, there's a couple parts that unfortunately bring goosebumps. But one time he had bitten me so badly on my behind and just kept biting and biting until blood was running down the sides of my hips. And it took a long time for that scar to heal. Hmm. And then there was another time when he chased us through an a- with an axe to the house, and we ran upstairs, and we ran up, up to the roof, and we hung on to the roof until the police had gotten there. And there was a lot of frightening moments. We always lived our lives in fear around Herb. He was an abusive alcoholic, mentally, verbally, physically, in every way possible when he drank. Wow. Wow. So so this was your childhood. What what happened to you as you started growing up? Did Herb stay around? Um, well, eventually, my mother and him did get divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, but by that time, my mother and I were having a lot of problems. We were How arguing were a lot. There was a lot of issues. I tried to commit suicide, Ooh. and she had put me in a home for troubled teenagers. And we had some issues with that because I felt a lot of mistrust for her when I had had a drug test taken. So when I had gotten home and released, we started arguing a lot. Right. And I, was, I felt like I was being pushed out the door. Hmm. And so what had happened at that day, my stepfather had called. Now, they were divorced a couple of years by then. Mm-hmm. And when I picked up the phone, I told him what happened. And he said, why don't you come and live with me? Uh, you can 
take just a couple months if you want. You can have your freedom. You can get on your feet and get away from your mother. And then if you want to go back to your mother, you can. Now, I was very apprehensive at first. Yeah, I was going to say, Susan, come on. Listen, but this he guy. he wasn't <laughs> drinking for the, for the few years in that time frame that they were divorced. And right. I really felt like I had no other choice other than either that or go out on the street. Right. So I had done it. And when I had stayed with him, he had asked me what I was going to do for a job, and I told him that I really had no idea. Hmm. And he said, well, you know, you're young and you're attractive. Why don't you think about modeling? You've got a whole life ahead of you. Hmm. I was, I mean, I was basically homeless, naive, lonely, and I was also rebellious against my mother. How old were you? I was just shy of turning 17. Okay. And basically, he started to make me feel as though I was worthless, and he brainwashed me to believe that he was the only answer for me. He told me that I couldn't balance a checkbook and that working as a model would be glamorous, but really it ended up being prostitution. Mm. And that's how it remained for the next couple of years. I'm just curious, did he set you up in that as far as prostitution, or was that just something you kind of fell into? Well, he told me that he had a modeling job for me, and he drove me to this person's house. I thought it was a photographer. Mm -hmm. And when I got in there, I realized there was no photography equipment. And, Mm -hmm. of course, this man wanted just started undressing me, so it was easy for me to figure out what was going on. Herb had exchanged money with this man even beforehand, so I never saw any of the money. Right. So, so Herb basically was your pimp. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Wow. And, and, I mean, gosh, I mean, here's, here's your stepdad, somebody you again try to trust, but you're apprehensive. I mean, what's going on in your heart? Do you, ha- did you, do you have any uh, recollection of that? I had a lot of fear, but I was also, I had a lot of pride. I did not want to go back to my mother and say, Mom, I'm sorry for our argument. Can we try to work this out? I didn't really have any communication skills. I was smoking cigarettes, seemed like constantly. Um, I had just gotten over doing cocaine and pot from when I was in that home for troubled teens. I had right. stopped it then, but I had just gotten out of that lifestyle. So I, I, was, I was pretty confused altogether. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life or where I wanted to go, but I, I do know that I had a lot of pride. Mm. You know, many people have a perception of the person who, uh, the, the um, perpetrator of sexual abuse as being a guy in a trench coat, hanging around the corner, but often, most often, from what I've seen, it's somebody who was in a position of earned trust, mm-hmm. a yes. re- relative or a father or a stepfather or an uncle. Correct, correct. And and even that's the case with most people who do drugs. It's, it's usually not a stranger that introduces us right. to drugs. It's usually somebody we know. Right. And it's it's such a familiar situation to see somebody use drugs and then they're kind of happy. And then the other person who's watching this says, man, I want some of that. So, I mean, you're kind of you're in a situation where you're trying to survive. You're trying to do the best that you can. And this is all you got. Right. That's correct. I really felt that I had no other choice. A lot of people believe that women actually had options and choices. Well, you didn't have to choose that. And I think uh, I did if I didn't have anything to eat. Right. right. <laughs> you know, what else, what other choice does a teenager have when they're living on the street or have no place to turn? Right. There is no other choice. And so that's why um, I feel very called, along with, I'm sure, other organizations to really reach out to youth now and see if we can prevent this from happening, work with families. Right. And wouldn't you guys say familiarity and a relationship would determine what somebody chooses to do, even if that relationship oh, is yeah. bad? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so here you were, a young lady, familiar with Herb, familiar with the fact that you didn't want to go back and humble yourself with your mom, so you decided to do this. Correct. 
And how long did you do this? I did it for about a couple of years, right up until I finished high school. And then I ran from him because I started to become afraid. He stripped me of my pride to the point that I had no self-esteem whatsoever. But there was one thing he didn't have, and that was the title to my car that I had in high school. Hmm. He provided everything for me, all my needs. He gave me a beautiful condo, a nice car, jewelry, clothes. But there was a title to the car that I had in high school, and he wanted that. And that was really what went up in my head when I thought, gosh, you know what? I think I've really got to get away from him because I really felt like I was right back in the position I was when I tried to commit suicide. Nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, just wanting to die. Okay, so so you graduated high school. How old are you now? Well, now I'm 38. <laughs> no, not, not right now, but I'm sorry, at the point where uh, Herb wanted your you, you said you graduated. It was from... around. It was probably around 18, I would say. Okay, and so what did you do next? Well, then I ran from him, uh-huh. and I drove down to Florida with only sixty dollars in my pocket, and I was really at a state of post-traumatic stress disorder, but I did not know it. Right. My only concern was making sure that he didn't find me, and I kept driving and driving and driving. I was on 95. I ended up in Orlando, Florida, and then I found a strip club, and I started dancing in there, which didn't last long because I disobeyed the rules, and I basically got fired about an hour after I was working in there. <laughs> and then what I did is I stayed with a hairdresser who offered me her couch to sleep on, and I went right back into the escort service again because that was when it finally hit me that I had this newfound freedom with nobody to take my money, and I wanted to give it a try. So uh, then how long, how long did this go on? Well, this went on for about the next seven years of my life. There was, there was a lot of, of times during that time where I thought that the sex industry was the way of life. It was all about me, my pride, my wants. And nobody could tell me any differently. I mean, I would have family members, boyfriends, husbands try to tell me, you know, you don't need to do this for a job. And I would say, look, this is what I do for a job. If you don't like it, there's the door. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I have been with, before and after I was married, I hate to say, I've been with women who are prostitutes. And I just never forget that the look behind their eyes, it's like their life was gone. Um, yeah, there is no life. It's just survivor. Mm-hmm. Well, and- That's why when she said post-traumatic stress disorders. I, I don't know any woman who's been in the sex industry or who is currently in that does not have those symptoms or live with those symptoms on a daily basis. So so what you're saying is kind of like a a real disconnection from your heart. I mean, you, you are functioning, you are, your heart rate's pumping, you got brain activity, but there's really no emotional connection. No, it's just, um, I, I, I read a lot of articles because my husband was in the military on what happens to vets. Right. And, they, and they get post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm telling you, we, we respond exactly like a vet does right. in war. And we um, disassociate ourselves, we become numb, and we, mm-hmm. all we do is survive every day. There's, there's no happy day. There's no emotions, no feeling. So when you come into recovery, you realize, I can't feel anything. Right, right. But, yet, but then they start to surface when things like um, life-altering situations like having babies, um, uh, death in the family, things like that. Like I had a baby, and I re- and all of a sudden they surfaced. But that before that, the symptoms would be like nightmares, flashbacks, um, it's rage, and then, or being numb and not moving at all in the corner, just being a zombie, or can't get, get up and doing things, sleeping all day long. So this is how my early recovery was, and and I had used alcohol and drugs, right, to uh, medicate to it, that, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that, too, is that even when I finally got in a good, stable relationship, I had a really hard time for many years staying close to my husband and trusting him. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right, because you're... He's another John. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's interesting too. But but it also, what we understand too is that you know your ability to connect with somebody, Susan, was dependent on how you were raised and how you connected with other people in your past. So, yeah. and, and you just didn't have that trust, right? Correct. So, so what happened? I mean, here you are, and you got married. Uh, tell us, tell us how God began to redeem your story. Well, eventually, I ended up in the state of Illinois, and I had a baby by then. And one of my goals of going to Illinois was to try to prevent my baby from being taken from the state. So I went up to Illinois with a boyfriend thinking we were going to be one big happy family Hmm. ever after. So that was a dream, right? (laughs) It's a very very bad dream. (laughs) But when I got there, eventually what ended up happening is he was my driver, and I got arrested. And I never, ever expected in a million years that that would ever happen to me. I was always one of these people that said, oh, well, you know, these other girls are just not careful because I'll never get arrested. But I had no idea. These police officers were very good. And they had (laughs) taped everything. And they had my boyfriend in the other room. And um, they took him to jail, too. He stayed in there for hours for four hours, and I was only supposed to be in there for four hours, but that didn't happen. I ended up being in there for four days, three nights and four days to be exact. Wow. Yeah, see, I used to work undercover as a cop, and I worked prostitutes and massage parlors, so I know how well we work. Mm -hmm. Well, what ended up (laughs) happening, to go a little bit further in the story, is that because I was only meant to be in there for four hours, this this particular jail was not set up for anyone to be in there a while or Mm -hmm. even long term. When those bars closed, an African-American girl next to me said, you're not going to get out of here. I'm telling you, they've never let a white girl out of here. And at first, I kind of just shook it off my shoulder because I thought she was going to start trouble. But then by about 2 o'clock in the morning, I started to realize that she probably could be serious. I did tell the babysitter that night that I was going to be picking my son up at 2 a.m. in the morning. I told her that I was a waitress. Mm -hmm. So when I was still in there by 2 a.m., I started to get very frantic. And I started shaking the bars. I started calling the guard. Nobody came. There was no mercy in that jail. Mm -hmm. I was at their mercy, but there was no mercy. You see, mercy only exists in heaven. Why would she (laughs) say they, they weren't going to be letting you out? Because I was white. And what was happening is that they were taking my file and they were putting it at the bottom of all the new people being checked in. And I saw many people come and go, and I was never getting out. So I knew something was going on, but I just couldn't say what it was. And every time that I would finally get a hold of a guard, she would say, don't worry, we're working on it. It was just kind of like that that cliche that you hear everybody say, oh, the doctor will be with you just a minute. (laughs) You know, it never got to that (laughs) point. So um, by about the second day... And the third day, now it was very cold in there. I did not have a pillow. I did not have a blanket. It was just a small cell, me in that cell. I had no water. I had one sandwich, two slices of white bread, one slice of bologna. So I was very thirsty. I was very hungry. And I really started to believe that I was never, ever going to get out. And when you're stripped of your motherhood and your pride, and you are starting to really worry about a little baby who's sleeping in a crib, that you can't get to, that you just want to hold. You start to become really frantic, and that's what happened with me. And it wasn't until that third night that I wow. felt like I absolutely had nowhere, no one to turn to but God. Hmm. And that's when I got down on my hands and knees, and I said, God, whatever happens, please, please don't let anything happen to my baby. Wow. I'm the one that deserves this. I'm the one that deserves the punishment. Just please let him be okay. Hmm. And I heard God say to me, 
I just want you to stop what you're doing. Please come to me. Just mm. come to me. I love you. Wow. And that's when I really rededicated my life to God. And it was that fourth day that I had gotten checked out. And it was because of my ex-boyfriend that I had gotten out. Now, some people do argue the point, And they say, oh, the only reason you got out of the sixth industry is because you were arrested. But what I'd like to say to that is a national average that women go back into jail after getting arrested for prostitution is 60%. Right. And out of that 60%, they all get arrested about 10 times. Yep. I met many girls there who were back in jail for that. I got arrested once, and wow. I never went back into that, and it was because God had touched me that night. Only Susan, God can change hearts. Susan, you said rededicated. Had you been exposed to the church growing up? Correct. I was about eight years old when I did say that mm-hmm. prayer, but I don't think that I was really saved because I don't really think that I knew the seriousness of what that prayer meant and what it meant to change my life. Because after that point, I still blame God for everything. I blame God for my mom marrying the wrong man, for Herb doing the things that he did for me. I was angry at God for a long time. I thought, if this is a loving God, why would he allow this to happen in my life? Right. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Blazing Grace Radio Show. This is uh, Mike Janung and Rob McIntyre. Actually, I'm Rob McIntyre. We have uh, (laughs) Susan Stafford and Shelley Lubin uh, on the phone with us, and we're talking about, uh, Susan, your story so you you rededicated your life to the Lord on the cold uh, cell floor. What happened next? Well, then it, I basically just just waited things out. I didn't know if God was going to intervene in my life. I only knew that I needed him at that point. And then it was the fourth day around 11 o'clock that I finally got checked out. And when I got checked out and got downstairs and saw my ex-boyfriend, I found out that my son was still at the babysitter's. When I had arrived at the babysitter, she said that she was going to call DCYS, but something held her back. So I really felt like God was intervening in my Mm. life then. Mm. And when I had gotten back to the house where we were staying, I had called someone who was watching my son before I went to Chicago. Because now I had some new choices to make in my life. And I called her and I said, Diane, I've got a problem. I told her what happened. I said, I am so sorry that I left Florida the way I did. And she said, Susan, we love you. We just hmm. want to take care of you. Please come back home to us. She says, I tell you what, I'll get you a bus ticket on Greyhound. You come down on Greyhound, bring the baby down. You, we can decide what you're going to do afterwards. You can take the Greyhound bus back up, leave your car up there, and you can decide what you're going to do with your relationship. She says, we'll take the baby for a while until you get on your feet. So when I went down on that Greyhound bus, it was the hardest time of my life. I had this baby that was about 12 weeks old sitting on my lap looking up at me with the most beautiful blue eyes with so much trust and I had to sit there and hold him for a 24-hour bus trip on Greyhound and he would just put his head on my shoulder and he had so much trust in me and here I was this horrible mother getting out of prostitution not knowing what I was going to do with my life or even if I was going to see him again and I had to get off that bus and I had to hand him to Diane not knowing that when I'd ever see him again, it was the hardest time of my life. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. What did the healing process of your heart from all the trauma and all the all that you've done those years look like? It was very difficult. I mean, my life, it's not like God just came down and say, okay, I've forgiven you. Your <laughs> life is going to be a bed of roses. Amen. I really had to work at it. And not only that, even after that point when my son was given up for adoption, because ultimately that's what happened. 
But after that point, I had still kept a side sugar daddy that I saw about three times afterwards. That I, I actually went into telemarketing and did things like waitressing jobs because nobody would hire somebody who was arrested. At that point, I couldn't get hired. Right. And, but telemarketing jobs, they never seemed to care about my background. I'd walk in, they'd hire me right away. So I did that for a while. And when I really needed the money, I saw this side sugar daddy that I had, and he would give me $1,000, and that would last me for a while. But every time I saw him, I felt like dirt. I felt like I have really failed God. When am mm. I ever going to get this right? Shelley, I remember uh, earlier this year we did a show, and you had talked about there's a numbness that happens once once a woman breaks off from this lifestyle. Can you, yes. Can you talk more to that? Yeah, you just, uh, especially when you're put into a relationship, I had just gotten married when I got out, and um, I just, um, at first I was just really numb, I didn't care, I blamed everybody for everything, nothing was my fault, um, I had a real hard time um, just functioning, so then I got antidepressants, which even made me more numb, mm-hmm. so um, not, none of the medications worked for me, and I was diagnosed with bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, impulse control disorder, right. substance mm-hmm. abuse, I mean... The list goes on. They threw the book at you. I have, I have a lot of her <laughs> symptoms as well, so I know right. she's correct on that. Yeah. In fact, um, I'm, if you can read articles and just listen to the women speak, now that I've been doing this for a while, um, I haven't met a porn star or a prostitute yet who doesn't have these symptoms. Well, it, and a it, lot of times they don't know it, and they right. don't realize they have childhood um, abuse. So what I do is I help them uh, untangle those lies, because a lot of times we believe lies so I didn't even believe I was sexually abused. I didn't understand that until maybe even a few years ago. Right. And and, and I know for myself, being uh, abducted when I was 14, uh, the trauma, not understanding how that really impacts you. And it took me till between 37 and 42 to really figure out how that had impacted me and how that shut my emotions down. I'm well, still figuring it out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, it's funny. I'm my own psychologist and my own client at the right. same time. I know me too. I talk to <laughs> myself all the time. No, I'm joking. Hey, listen, <laughs> you guys. Know. Yeah, I know we got to wrap up here, but I just wanted to highlight, uh, Susan, your story is going to be airing on the 700 club on Monday, December 11th on Correct. ABC family. And that, and a lot of things have really changed in your life for a blessing. Uh, so if there are those out there who are really struggling with something like this, or you know somebody who's struggling with prostitution, you can, uh, of course, contact Susan Stafford at Susan Stafford, and that's S-T-A-F-F-O-R-D dot com, or you can email her at Susan at Stafford, right? Is that Susan at Susan Stafford dot okay. com. Okay, Susan at Susan Stafford, and also Shelly Lubin, L-U-B-B-E-N, and you can visit her on her website. And ladies, you mentioned Out of Exile Ministries. What is that? That's an awesome ministry. Tammy Dahl, one of my mentors, myself, an awesome woman of God, she also came out of a lifestyle of prostitution, and she's been out a while, so God's really done a work in her life. That's at outofexile.org, and uh, you can go there and visit her as well and read her story. Wow. Ladies, you are awesome, and uh, Susan, we'd love to have you back and hear the rest of your story and what God is doing Shelly, always a blessing. We're going to have you on our next show. So uh, thank you for listening to us, and God bless you this Christmas season. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Blazing Grace Show. We trust today's broadcast helps bring you closer to God and to what God desires for your life. Blazing Grace is a listener-supported mission intended to help listeners around the world. Your support is vital in keeping that mission alive. We ask you to prayerfully consider sending a tax-deductible gift to Blazing Grace. It would be gratefully appreciated. You can send your monetary gift to Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 625. 521 Colorado Springs, Colorado 80962-2521. That's Blazing Grace, PO Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80962-2521. Want to learn more about Blazing Grace? Find us on the internet at www.blazinggrace.org. That's www.blazinggrace.org forward slash radio. HTM. On that page, you'll find a downloadable copy of this show, or you can visit oneplace.com under ministries. Look for Blazing Grace Radio. If you want help resolving a sexual addiction, you can reach Rob McIntyre and Jason Graves toll free by dialing 877-590-SOUL. That's 877-590-7685. Desire for a specific subject to be covered on Blazing Grace? Tell Mike Janung what you want covered. You can email Mike at Mike, the symbol at blazinggrace.org. We look forward to sharing more blazing issues and grace-filled answers next time. Thanks once again for listening, and may God shine his grace upon you. Are you with me? It's time to be free to live for God, free to run. (laughs) 